All right, everybody okay? Everybody made it through that all right? Everybody good? 16 verses is big, I know. Very, very long, but I'm proud of you. You did it. You went through the... You see, if you were here in the beginning, when I came out, I, I said, do you know that 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what you just heard read by Hubert was the Day of Atonement. What the the people in the Old Testament had to do to get their sins forgiven was they had to bring blood into the temple every single day, but then once a year, the high priest only could go into the presence of God and get forgiveness for the people. But yet us, when we come here today, because of Jesus Christ, we could simply ask God to forgive us. And he is faithful and just to do just that. Cleanses us because of that blood of Christ. So we don't have to go through that whole ritual situation. That's part of the old. And that's what we're going to learn about today. So we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 9. And again, I warmed you up with 16 verses. Now we're going to do 15. There's one less. But we're going to go, we're going to creep through this. So I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 9. And uh, if you have a Bible, you can follow along because we're going to go piecing and sort of inching through it. Now, if you've been with us, we've been talking about the covenant of grace. Well, really, the new covenant. That sort of has just come into the picture. To replace, no, but to continue and to fulfill the old. Now, this whole passage in chapter 9, including part of chapter 10, if you can keep your mind wrapped around this, the context is the new covenant. The new covenant. We talked about that, and we will review that. Now, the first covenant, if we look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1, it says, now even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle prepared. Again, this, this, this writer is simply commentating on what you just heard back in Leviticus. So there was, a, there was a tabernacle prepared. The outer one, in which were the lampstand and the table and the sacred bread, this is called the holy place. Now, it's funny, before service, I, I got my little app out to try to measure how long and how big the sanctuary is. And so this sanctuary is about, I don't know exactly how big, but I counted 15 feet from about here to there. That's how wide the temple was. So right from about this podium to about the wall. It was 45 feet long. Okay, that goes right about to where Ralph is sitting back there. One row up. Put your hand up for me, big Ralph. There you go. One hand up, one row up. That's 45 feet. So here we have the sanctuary that they're talking about. But he's talking about the, but the holy place. That was the first room. Okay? That was 30 feet long and 15 feet wide. Now that is the place, I feel like I've been living in that place for the past couple of weeks. So I'm familiar with the text here. But that was a very, very simple, simple room. But only the high priest was allowed in there 
And only, um, the, I'm sorry, the first room, priests were allowed to go in there and serve the Lord on a regular basis. But only the high priest was allowed to go into the back room, which was 15 feet by 15 feet by 15 feet. It was a perfect cube. <clears throat> now, that room, inside of that room, there was only really one major important thing, and that was the Ark of the Covenant. All the other things inside the ark were just as important. But when that first room, when you went into that first room, there was more things there. There was a table of showbread on the right, had 12 loaves, which we're going to hear about. One representing, each representing each tribe of Israel. On the left, we had the lampstand. And then right in the middle of those two rooms stood this gigantic curtain that separated uh, the, the holy place from the most holy place. So when he talks about that first place called the holy place in verse 2, he's talking about the first room when you walk in, which has the table of showbread, 12 loaves, to the right. To the left is the lampstand, or what we would look at as the menorah, right? And that menorah is from the, Hebrew, from the Old Testament. It's not necessarily what we see today. It's the seven cups menorah. And then we have the altar of incense right by the curtain, and that incense is, represents the prayers of the people. And then you go into the next place. And that's behind the second veil, because there was a first veil to get into that first place. But the second veil, <clears throat> there was another tabernacle or another room, which is called the Holy of Holies, having a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which there was a golden jar holding manna, and Aaron's rod which budded, and the tables of the covenant, and above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. But of these things we cannot now speak in detail. And see, this comes off uh, in the NSAB as a little bit harsh, as if, well, I can't tell you about them now because, because you won't understand it, or I don't have time necessarily. No, he's basically saying is we're not going to talk about this in detail because this is not really what the purpose of what I'm telling you. I'm not trying to give you the specific details of the tabernacle. Because most of these people knew that. But he is putting it there so that way these things can be in their mind. Because what he's about to tell them, all those things that you see in the first room. And all those things that you see in the second room. Guess what? They're no longer needed. Look at what he says here. If you go down, right? Um, in verse 6, it says, Now when these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing divine worship. But into the second, only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. Now, I said all that to get to verse 8. The Holy Spirit is signifying this, and this is the purpose of, of this entire passage right here. The Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol of the present time. See, this outer tabernacle that he's talking about, now again, this he's talking about the tabernacle that Moses built in the wilderness. Since then, there has been more, the temple had been destroyed, well, it had been built by Solomon, and then it had been destroyed by Israel's enemies, 
and then it had been rebuilt, as we read about in Nehemiah, and then Herod rebuilt the temple again during the time of Christ. The temple that he's talking about here is not really the temple at all. It's the tabernacle in the wilderness. Now, the tabernacle in the wilderness is more significant because this is the pattern in which Moses was given on Mount Sinai. So he was able to peek in to the, into heaven and see the true throne and temple of God, get those instructions, and then make an earthly shadowy copy of it so that way people would understand symbolically what that temple means now. And what that temple means now is it's symbolic for the, for, for the old life. We talked about that last week, right? The old rituals, the Old Testament law, that has to die. That's dying. That's fading away. That's, that's moving on. Okay? And so all of those rituals are sort of paralleled with our life. Because all of us here have an innate sinful desire to think that we are able to please God outside of Jesus Christ. We all think that. We all think we're good. Because you are. <laughs> I say that because, again, if chances are if I took two or three of your really good friends and said, hey, is this a good guy or a good girl? They'd say, oh, man, they are. They're good. You, you know what they did? You know what that person does? Do you know who this person, you know, takes care of every day? And we, in our mind, think that somehow, some way, God is looking at us going, check this one out over here. Wow, he's, he's not only done one really good thing, but he's making this a habit. He's a disciplined person. He's doing it every day. And I say, good, do that. But if you're still doing it in the old strength, in the old life, serving that old temple of a body, your flesh... It's not landing on any ears in heaven. It's not landing on any eyes in heaven. Because only God can see your good works through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Think about the cross. We, we often think about what Jesus did on the cross as sacrificial. It was. We often think of Jesus on the cross as just so obedient. He was. But most important, Jesus is something that neither you, I, nor Israel can be. And that is faithful. We cannot be faithful to God. Truly faithful. We can be faithful sometimes. But overall, we are going to miss the boat outside of Christ. And so this temple is the symbol of this present body, present time. But most important, it's also a symbol of the present age. Look here, accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience. Right? You think your conscience feels good when you do something bad, but then do something good. In your mind, it's cleared your conscience, but in God's mind, he's looking at you going, yeah, great, however, I need you to trust in my son. I'm drawing you to him. He's the one that needs to cover you in righteousness, not your own. Now, they only related to food and drink and various washings and regulations for the body imposed until what? Until a time of reformation 
or I like in some versions, a time of a new order. And that's where we're getting to here. So he's trying to tell them, jump up and down, saying, look, you're still, you're, you're in Christ, but you're living as part of the old order. How many of us have done that? We, we live in Christ, right? Me, me too. We, we, we're, we're professing Christ, but we're still finding ourselves continually in the temple, sniffing those sacrifices, walking around, smelling the incense. Oh, and how beautiful that smells. How could I, I just want to go back in there and one more lamb, just one more Passover. Nope, it's not going to matter. It may make you feel better, but in God's book, he wants you to take that and see that that time at the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, at that very time, now again, not with scientific precision, this very date, this very date, but at that time, Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension, that old order was completely ineffective. As a matter of fact, it was an abomination to sacrifice in the temple, as we just read in Hebrews a couple chapters ago. It was an abomination for them to go back to that old way. How can they be renewed again unto repentance when they apostatize and go into into a, a, a pagan temple and sacrifice pagan blood. It's almost as if you're sacrificing to a pagan God. No. Jesus, his blood. That's why the very next verse says, but when Christ appeared, but when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Not made with hands, meaning not made on earth like Moses and, 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 uh, and, and uh, Bezalel and all them made that tabernacle. No, not of this creation. This happened. This temple was built in heaven. And not through the blood of goats and calves. Could you imagine? But through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption. Not obtaining eternal redemption. Not going into God with, hey God, is this sacrifice going to be good? Is this blood going to be valuable? No. Jesus, got the God-man, the Son of God, obtained. He got it for you. He, he redeemed you. And he, it's a past tense action. It already happened if you believe in Christ. In the judicial library of God in heaven, you are marked not guilty for your sins, past, present, and future because of the blood of Christ and because he entered into that more perfect tabernacle, the true tabernacle. You see, how silly would it be to continue to stay involved in a religious system in a system of works, in a system of trying to earn your way to God, trying to have some sort of identity with that system. No, Jesus says very simply, yes, Christianity is a system of doctrine. Don't get me wrong. This isn't just, oh, let go and let God, Jesus' blood covers you, all. just do it. No, no, this is a system of doctrine. <clears throat> but Jesus went in once for all. So you could give up those works. And trust in Christ. See, 13, if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been 
uh, defiled, sanctified for the cleansing of the flesh. As they clean my flesh, I can, I can go into the presence of God or be around his temple and do his law. I'm cleansed. No, you need more than that. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit has offered himself without blemish to God? You see, that Passover lamb had to be 100% pure. Anything offered to God had to be pure. You know, a lot of the people would take the, you know, the, even the, not only pure, but they would take their, a, a pure, let's say, lamb, but it wasn't the fattest lamb. You know, they'd say, oh, there's two lambs. We're going to sacrifice one to God, you know, and then when one of them dies, it's, oh, well, God's lamb just died. Too bad. Well, I'm not going to sacrifice my only lamb. But these are the things, these are the minutiae of the everyday life that they were into, that they were about. But Jesus is the one time spotless lamb. He was without defect, but the very, not only the very best of God's flock, but God himself, he laid his life down so that we could walk in and walk out of that second temple area in heaven. Right now, you could do that. Right now, you, if you know Christ, you could close your eyes or keep them open, whatever you want to do, and you can go to God with whatever you have right now in your heart. Whatever it is, whatever impossible situation you think you're going through, God says, I have the solution, but I'm not telling you. Come, draw near, because that's what I love, says God. I want your heart. Don't worry about these temporary trials and tribulations that you're going through. No, I'm going to be with you through them. But I need your heart, and I need you to go through the way that I provided, not through your old ways but through the way of Christ. <clears throat> now, for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant. Since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called now can receive the promise of eternal inheritance. You see, as you see here, these are those that are called by God are forever, uh, eternally covered by God and by Christ's blood. And, and, my, and a lot of people who say, well, you know, well, what are you talking about? Is it God or is it us? It's God. But as Spurgeon says, he goes, listen, I am going to preach the whosoever gospel until I see the very roles of the elect in heaven and see the kingdom come in its fullness. And what he means is, is we don't know who's saved, who's not saved. We don't know who, uh, who's elect, who's not elect. And that's not our job to do that. Our job is to repent and believe when we hear the command of the gospel. Turn from your sins, says the Lord. And he will make them as white as snow. And he even invites you to come and reason with him. Come, let's reason together, says the Lord. Although your skins be as scarlet, I will make them as white as as snow. Come reason with him. Talk with him. That's what the entrance into the holy place is for. Relationship. You see, every other pagan temple in, in, around the time of, 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 of this, uh, of the Old Testament especially, during the time of, of the Exodus, every pagan temple was very ornate and, and huge. You know, they tried to just overdo it, right? 
Like, I don't know, just some of these houses that you see in some of these developments, right? With the big pillars and the big statues and all this stuff. And it was like the temple, they spared no expense. But what they would do is they would put a statue in the temple of their God. They would carve him out of stone. But you see, when you enter into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, there's no statue. God doesn't want our attention on th- of something man-made. God said that when that priest would walk in with the blood, now first of all, he would have to take blood for himself. So he'd have to sacrifice a bull for himself. After he sacrificed that bull, he would have to go through his whole rich washing rituals all over again. Get changed all the clothes, wash his whole body, put all new clothes on, put all his stuff on, and then take the blood in for not only for him, but for the people as well. And they would, he, would, he would walk in to this area, and he would go right back into the Holy of Holies. But there, before he would do that, there would be the altar of incense. Now, if you look here, it goes it, and back at, um, just in case you're, you're, you're really paying attention. It says, behind the second veil, verse 3, was a tabernacle, which is the Holy of Holies, having a golden altar of incense. You see, the altar of incense is actually just outside the Holy of Holies, in front of the curtain. And they represented the prayers of the people. So when the priest would come in, he would come in with all the incense, and he would put it on that table, and it would fill the Holy of Holies. And why it's written like this is because it used to sit out of the outer curtain, and then on the Day of Atonement, the priest would carry it inside, so it was actually a part of that Holy of Holies, the most holy place. And it would fill, the smoke would fill up in there. And God would say, when that smoke is filled up, sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat between the two cherubim, and I will descend my presence between the two cherubim in the midst of that smoke. You see, he didn't want a statue. He is is a present God. He's there for real. He's invisible. But he's dwelling with his people. And he goes through the whole law and all these rituals so that we would not be consumed. You see, he wants to be your personal God. He is your God, whether you want him to be or not. Whether you, you believe in gravity or not, if you jump off the top of this building, you're going to fall. Whether or not you believe in God, it doesn't matter. One day, and I'll speak to you in your mind, if you, in your mind right now, don't believe in God, that day, what, what are you going to do on that day when you stand before Him? And I know that you know that there's at least I hope you believe there's a creator or a God. I, don't hope you, I hope you don't think everything came from nothing. No, this, this universe, your body, this world, his kingdom is meticulously designed for you. To, why is for you? Not maybe you, per, like, oh, this is all for you. No, for you and him so, you could have, so he could be present with you, working in and through you as you go out to do these things. Do you know, if you, if you go to Exodus 35, I believe, the way God built this tabernacle is so cool because he just didn't say, all right, this is real simple. You know, just here's the directions. Go find somebody to do it. No, he says, I am going to raise up 
of two specific people. One was Bezalel and one was Olifel. I think the last that if I'm saying that incorrect, forgive me. But Bezalel was actually um, he's one of my favorite people in the Bible because I think he he symbolizes the Christian life as it resu- as it as it as it pertains to building the true temple, building the temple of the new creation. You see, Bezalel was filled. Let me try to find the scripture here because I haven't looked at my notes here. Good. 30, uh, Exodus 31, verses 2 to 5. He talks about filling Bezalel with his spirit and with all sorts of skills and all sorts of creativity so that he can go and fashion all the parts of the temple exactly as how it was supposed to be. You see, God didn't poof it. Nope. He, he provided the materials, he provided the directions, and he even provided the spirit, his spirit, to be inside of him. So he could do the work, and not just any work, but beautiful art, artistic work. And he's doing the same with you. This, see, this is why he's called us. We're Bezalel in the kingdom of God. He's filled you and you and you and you and everyone here differently with special skills, with special uh, gifts. Maybe you have a gift of discernment. Maybe you have a gift of, uh, of being able to determine when something is just not right along with Scripture. Something is, doesn't jive with Scripture. And so you grab me at the back after service, and you say, that just didn't jive, right? And I say, you're right, because it was wrong. I said something wrong, and that's your discernment, okay? So it's okay to, to, to do that, because nobody's perfect, right? But he has given you such a unique identity, such a unique stamp of who you are, but more importantly, he puts you in a time in history for this specific time and place, too, for your gifts, so you, you were created and matched with this time in history to be God's vessel to build for that true tabernacle. Go to Revelation 21 and 22. There's the Ezekiel temple. That's in, in Ezekiel 40 to 48. He talks about this temple the size of Jerusalem. Merges very good with 21 and 22 in Revelation. Pointing to that heavenly time where God is going to be all in all. You see, the new creation is going to, it says it in, in, in Revelation 20, there's going to be no temple there because the Lord himself is the temple. And you're the temple of God when you have the Holy Spirit in you. So are you not Bezalel? Are you not called to go out and build that tabernacle for God? Now, was everybody the tabernacle builder? Was everybody? No, there was other people like priests who were in that first chamber every day making sacrifices. They would replace the bread once a week. They would eat the bread. They would do all this. I, I really encourage you to go on YouTube. I was going to show it today, but I didn't want to spoil you with slides and videos because then you'll expect it every week, and I'm not doing that. <laughs> but if you just type in Moses Tabernacle or Old Testament Tabernacle, not Temple, Tabernacle, there are some amazing videos and amazing pictures that just take you through and I want you to go and look at it and read this, these passages. Read Leviticus 16, 1 to 16. Read Hebrews 
and then look at the parallels to you in your life. What are you doing with what God gave you? What are you doing with what God entrusted you? You know, I look back on my life and I see so many times where God was just moving me, moving me, and then I got distracted and stood here for years. And then God puts me back on track and I move. It's part of the process, but I always wonder, man, what, what if I wasn't such a knucklehead back then? I wonder what God would have done. You know, what if I made that choice and I didn't go down that sinful route? What if I had repented of that sin t- five years ago? What if I had just given my life over to God fully and stopped trying to uh, form God into my own image before I do that? What do I mean by that? We, we don't, not in our image, but in the image of what we create as a God. Like, I want my God to love everybody. And he's all loving. He doesn't punish. He doesn't, you know, he's, he, it's, there's no courtroom. He's just happy-go-lucky. And that's my God. Yeah, well, my God is like my, I, I loved my grandpa, and I just think of my grandpa, I think God's got to be like him, right? Or my grandma, and we think of all these things, or we say, yeah, God, I can understand why God hates these sins, but, you know, these sins I could sort of, I don't see why they're so bad. And I just happen to like them too, but I don't see why they're so bad. No, God has settled his word. He has put it here. And because of this new covenant, this is the most important thing. This is, as there's so many most important things in the sermon, right? This is the most important thing, again, is that the new covenant, see the old covenant, right? If you're not getting this, was all about outward. Outward. I'm going to go sacrifice. I'm going to pray. I'm going to offer this. I'm going to do this offering, peace offering, wave offering, and go through all the sermon. And, and that appeased and covered. And did all these things, covered and, and, and allowed God to be able to be present with those people. But that was something that God wants them now to let go of. And that's what I'm, I believe this new covenant is for. Because you see, so outward, but the new is all about inward. So this isn't about you. This is about what God is doing with you. He's call, is he calling you into the covenant? Because look what he says of the covenant. Don't, this is from last week. He says, I will, in those days, I will make a new covenant. I will put my laws into their mind. But you got to really look at the inflection here, right? I will put my laws into their mind. I says the Lord, will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. See, the emphasis is no longer on you. The emphasis is no longer on outward. The emphasis is now on inward because of what Christ did. So when you become, in, when you become part of this new covenant, you don't have to worry about, oh man, what am I going to do? How am I going to live this life? God's got that covered. How does he do it? He fills you with the Holy Spirit. He fills you with God. He fills you with himself. Yeah, you know where I'm going. That you are that back section of the tabernacle now. You're the place where God has descended and rested over that mercy seat, over the blood of Christ permanently there in the heavens. But again, what are we doing? How are we doing? What are we doing with it? For this to happen, for this temple, let's say, for what they wanted to keep standing. 
For you and I to keep wanting the old temple to stand in our life. I want you to know quickly the, the repercussions of this. First of all, there would be none of anything that we're talking about if that temple was still standing. No mediation by Christ as high priest. No authority, nor kingdom rule by God or, or Christ. No new creation, no sanctification. All of this happens because Christ has opened up the way. That's why I think it's very um, mistakenly people are waiting for a new temple to be built. There's not one mention in the New Testament at all about a new testament or about a new temple ever being built. Again, it would be now that you started to even see some of these things about the old, imagine a new temple, and they say that it's only going to be memorial sacrifices and all these other things. But when you look at that and you look for that, you are taking scripture out of context. Well, really, it's a misinterpretation of scripture. And you're saying, well, Pat, what do you mean? It's a it's a it's a misinterpretation of literalism of that word. Because everyone wants to take the scripture literally, right? We all want the scripture. We want the literal translation of the scripture, Pat. What does it mean literally? Well, in order to get the literal out of the Bible, you have to translate the Bible according to its literature. And that means according to the genre of its literature. And so I know I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but what I'm trying to say is, is you can do that study on your own. And you can let me know about it. and I would love to help you with it. But instead of looking for those new temples, and instead of looking in the newspaper and trying to take it back to scriptures in the Old Testament, which is complete nonsense, excuse me for being harsh, look for the new kingdom, look for the new creation that God is building through you. Look for opportunities to preach the gospel. Look for opportunities to confess Christ publicly. Look for opportunities to see what God is doing. Look for places where the pain is showing in people's lives and go there. That's the key to building for the kingdom right there. If you don't want to think of anything else, that is one of the most effective kingdom builders. You are pushing Eden out into the world when you show love to each other. And so I think I'm going to stop there. I, would pro- I want to encourage you to, to, to read ahead. You know, we have, we, we made it through chapter 9, well, halfway through chapter 9. Read all of chapter 9, all of chapter 10 if you can this week. Because I want you to really start to get, and even go back to chapter 8 if you can, and really start to wrap your, your, your arms around the full picture. The covenant, the old covenant, the old temple, the old system, the old life, the old creation. The new temple, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection and ascension, Holy Spirit comes down. Now the new temple is you building up into that perfect building with Christ as the chief corner. He's the capstone, if you want to say. And and then you take this knowledge that God has given you of the scriptures and say to him, Lord, how do you want me to use it? What do you want me to do for you, Lord? And then rest. Let the Lord move you. Wait for that time to move. Don't wait and procrastinate, but don't go running out there thinking that you're going to change the world. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. That's the essence of the new covenant. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father. I pray that your word landed on soft hearts. I thank you, Father, for the blood of Christ 
and taking us through the study to show us just how important and how incredibly valuable it is. But most important, the love that that blood represents, the love that you have for each one of us, Lord. I thank you so much for your son. I pray that if there's anyone here, Lord, that wants to know you, that wants your laws written in their mind and heart, that wants to come and and live forever, Lord, with you, and turn from their sin, God, can't hold on to both. I pray for them right now, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please stand and sing with us the communion hymn.